Welcome to Amazing Grace for another week. I pray you will be blessed by our program today. My name is Warren, and here at Amazing Grace, we would like to hear from you. If you have a question for us or would like to make a comment on something that we have said, or maybe we didn't say, um, we would like you to um, contact us, especially if you have a question. Um, Maybe you might even have a prayer request uh, for yourself or a family member. We'd be happy to pray for you either on air or off air. Now, we've got two free giveaways, uh, a book entitled Steps to Jesus, uh, which we will be reading from uh, today, and also the book The Desire of Ages about the life of Jesus from the Gospels. And... uh, and if you would like either of those, we'd be happy to post them to you. And um, if you contact us, we'll do that for you. So you can contact us in a couple of ways. Um, the first way is by well, you can contact the station and they'll pass on the information. Or you can contact um, us on email and the email address is triple nine amazing grace at gmail.com. That's nine nine nine. Amazing Grace, and Amazing Grace is only one G, at gmail.com. Or you could call or text us on 027-229-6624. That's 027-229-6624. All right, friends, um, let's start today's program with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share the gospel with uh, our friends here in the Manawatu and pray, Lord, that, that you would speak through us and that we pray that the Holy Spirit would touch the hearts of your people that are listening today, Lord. Uh, may we all grow in grace is my prayer for each one of us today, for I ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends. Um, not peace, but a sword is, is my first passage that I'd like to share with you today. Think that I come, sorry, think not that I come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. This Jesus speaking in Matthew 10:34. The baby and his parents were obviously poor, referring to Jesus and his parents. Dedications were common happenings in the temple, and the priest who performed the service was unaware of anything unusual. But there were two aged people in the temple that day, Simon and Anna, who had looked longingly for the Messiah to come, and they had not looked in vain. Simon, or could be pronounced Simeon, took the baby from Mary, and as he held him, he blessed the family and said to Mary, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Luke 2.34 The prediction of Simeon was fulfilled in the life of Jesus. The gospel that Jesus presented never left people the same. They became either patriots or traitors to his cause. This polarization was steady and increased in severity every day of his life until the final showdown at Calvary. Although the idea that Jesus saves is beautiful, and we love to sing about it, Jesus also divides. He comes not to bring peace but a sword. Jesus shakes people up. We also noticed here in the scripture that Jesus was set for the fall and rising of many in Israel. We are not talking here about the Greeks and Romans. Jesus came and was set 
or the polarising, the decision-making of the people already in the church pews. As a result, Jesus coming, people within the church were polarised. Some went one way and the others went another way. We noticed again and again throughout the Gospels that there are only two ways to go. As the old song says, two ways for travellers, only two ways. There is no third option. We can never be in charge of ourselves. We can choose only who will control us. Either we accept his grace, we believe in him, or we perish. The lifting up of Jesus and him crucified, the focusing on his life, will bring the same results today as when he was here on earth. The elements of human nature that were present at the time of Christ are still present today. As we come to a true knowledge of Jesus, we will also be compelled to choose to submit to his control or refuse it. We cannot remain neutral. Yes, and many people think that there is a third option. They think, well, that's where I'm in control. But no, friends, we can only choose who's in control. Either God's in control or the enemy's in control. And we probably don't like to think about it, but that's exactly how it is. And uh, so it's best that we choose the Lord, isn't it? Every day they pass me by I can see it in their eyes Empty people filled with care Headed who knows where On they go through private pain Living fear to fear Left to hide their silent cries Only Jesus hears People need the Lord People need the Lord At the end of broken Is the 
Listening to Amazing Grace here on Manawatu People's Radio. All right, in this segment we're going to look at uh, health tip of the week, and just had a few more. Had a few people just ask me a few questions about dietary fibre. So um, while we more or less have covered that, we're just going to do a little review, a little quick review, and what do what do we get? Um, where do we get our dietary fiber from? Uh, and it mostly comes from cereals, uh, but these are whole grain cereals, and then we we get it from fruits and vegetables. So whole grain cereals, fruits, and vegetables. You see, our diet high in fiber keeps the digestive system healthy. And most Kiwis do not eat enough fibre by far. And so they will suffer from all sorts of um, health issues, ranging from constipation to irritable bowel syndrome, um, heart disease, and even some cancers. And so, you know, eating dietary fibre doesn't guarantee you that you won't get any of these things, but it, it It improves your chances by a big amount. Um, So let's have a look at um, the whole grains and fruit and vegetables because that's where fibre comes from. So when we eat these, fibre is mainly a a carbohydrate and our body processes it. And the fibre that we get from this food um, helps to keep our digestive system healthy and moving. So, um, if I have things like constipation, uh, hemorrhoids, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, overweight or obesity, heart disease, diabetes bowel cancer and breast cancer and um, you know that's of the maladies that's probably that's probably a fair amount of them and we know that eating lots of dietary fiber will actually prevent you from getting these nasties we need about 30 grams a day and um Maybe next time I'm here, we'll actually have a look. Although things like oat bran, barley, uh, brown rice, you know, um, not white rice, but but any coloured rice, as long as it's not white, uh, flaxseed, legumes, dried beans, lentils, peas, um, soy milk and soy products, uh, all of these things are quite strong in um, dietary fibre. And so if you add those things, and, and also uh, things like bran, wheat bran, corn bran, rice bran, um, the skins of fruits and vegetables, that's why it's not good always to peel things and to throw it in the rubbish because you're throwing out the very best part. Nuts and seeds, dried beans, whole grain foods. And our friend Rex used to always talk about whole grains. And that's why, because he's looking at it from a different angle, but we're looking at it from being unwell and now wanting to be well. And, you know, I know that this happened in my life. You know, I was overweight. Um, I was starting to suffer from a lot of issues in my life, and I just decided that, you know, I wanted to change. And so I read a book um, which was called Fat Man Cooks. Um, It was an interesting book. Um, and adopted some of the things that he suggested in it. But I've since read other books that I have even gained more insight in. And so, look, just encourage you um, to eat more fibre in your diet and you will be much more healthy 
here on Manawatu People's Radio. Jesus, the great divider. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. Isaiah 40 verse 4. One of the first groups that fell at the coming of Jesus, who was set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, were the holders of tradition. Jesus said of those who came to him accusing his disciples of transgressing the tradition of the elders, in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Matthew fifteen nine. The Christian church has often had problems with tradition. In all ages there have been customs kept alive as doctrine that have no Bible base. We often speak of the Antichrist in this connection, but let's face it, tradition can be a problem for every church. A second group of people who fell and fell hard under Jesus' polarizing presence was a group we, we might call externalists. They were preoccupied with how they washed the borders of their garments, long prayers, ties on infamous tessel, tessel things, and the flies in the soup or the gnats in their water. Jesus faced them squarely in Matthew 23 when he told them that while they were apparently clean on the outside, inside they were filthy. A third group who fell in the presence of Jesus was self-righteous, how could they have missed the parable of the Pharisee and the publican? As recorded in Luke 18, as we look back on it, it seems that 
it would have been inevitable that the self-righteous would have seen themselves pictured and admitted their need. But they held out against him, and they fell. A fourth group were the wise, the people who tried to trick Jesus. Again and again the doctors were put put to confusing by simple questions that Jesus asked them, questions that even children should have been able to answer. They realized the truth that he taketh the wise in their own craftiness, 1 Corinthians 3.19. Liberals also fell at his presence. Jesus divided the broad church as well as the high church. The high church depended on ritual, the broad church on its easygoing theology, and from all groups, those who relied on their leaders for their answers fell in the presence of Jesus, the great divider. Jesus being set for the fall of many in Israel was a reality in his lifetime. The hills and mountains were laid low. Welcome back to Amazing Grace here on Manawatu People's Radio. And in the second half of our program, we're going to read to you from the two books that I talked about earlier, uh, the book entitled Steps to Jesus and also the book called Entitled The Desire of Ages. And so I'm going to pick up where I left off uh, last time um, in God's Love for Man. Jesus talked about his work on this earth. He said, The Lord has chosen me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed. Luke 4.18 This was his work. He went about doing good, healing all who were made sick by Satan. There were whole villages where there was not one cry of pain, for he had gone through and healed all the sick. The work of Jesus showed that he, had, that he was sent from heaven. Love, mercy and pity were sh- shown in every act of his life. His heart was touched with tender love for people. God's son became a human being so that he could help people. The poorest and humblest were not afraid to come to him. They loved to climb up on his knees and look into his thoughtful, loving face. Jesus did not keep back one word of truth, but he always spoke with love. He was gentle and kind and thoughtful to others. He was never rude and never spoke more severely than necessary. He never hurt anyone. He did not scold people for their weaknesses. He told the truth, but always in love. He spoke against insincerity, unbelief, and sin. But sadness was in his voice when he had to speak sharply. Jesus cried over the city he loved, because it would not receive him as the way, the truth, and the life. The people had turned against their Saviour, but he had looked on them with tender pity. Jesus did not live to please himself, but he had thoughtfully He had thoughtful care for others. Every person was precious in his sight. He looked with tender love on every member of God's family. He saw all the human beings as people who needed to be saved. The life Jesus lived shows us his character. His life also shows us God's character. Rivers of heavenly love flow out of the heart of God to us through his Son, Jesus. The tender, pitying Saviour was God who appeared in human form. Jesus lived and suffered and died to save us. He became a man of sorrows so that we could share in everlasting joy. God let his dear Son leave the glory of heaven and come to a world spoiled by sin. He let him come to a world dark with the shadow of death. He let his precious son leave his presence 
and the worship of the angels. He let him suffer shame, hate, and death. But we are healed by the punishment he suffered, made whole by the blows he received. So it tells us in Isaiah 53 and verse 5. See, Jesus in the desert, in Gethsemane, and upon the cross. The perfect Son of God took upon himself the weight of sin. He had been one with God, but on the cross he had felt the awful separation sin makes between God and man. It forced from his lips the cry of pain, My God, my God, why did you abandon me? It was the weight of sin, its terrible power to separate a sinner from God that broke his heart. But the Son of God did not give his life to make his Father love us. He did not die to make God willing to save. No, no. God loved the world so much that he gave his only Son. The Father loves us not because Christ died for us. He gave his Son to die because he loved us. Through Christ, God poured out his infinite love upon a sinful world. God was making all human beings his friends through Christ. Isn't that beautiful? God suffered with his son in the pain of Gethsemane and the death on the cross. God paid the price to save us. Jesus said, the Father loves me because I am willing to give up my life in order, that, in order that I may receive it back again, John ten seventeen. That is, my Father has loved you so much that he loves me even more for giving my life to redeem you. I died in your place, taking your sins because I did this. I am closer to my Father than before. For now God can be just and still save sinners who believe in me. Only the Son of God could save us. Only he who was one with God the Father could tell us about him. Only he who knew how high and how deep God's love was could show us. Nothing but Christ's great sacrifice for us could make known how much the Father loves sinners. God so loved the world so much that he gave his only son, John 3.16. He gave Christ to live among men, to take their liabilities and their sins, and to die for them. God gave his son to this world. By becoming a man, Christ would know how human beings felt and what they needed he was one with God, but he will always be joined to the human race. Jesus is not ashamed to call them his family. Jesus is our sacrifice, our advocate, our brother, standing in human form before his Father's throne. In his human form, he will forever be one with the race that he has saved. He is the Son of Man, and he did all of this to lift us from the ruin of sin so that we might reflect the love of God and share the joy of godly living. In giving his Son to die for us, our Heavenly Father made us a great sacrifice and paid a high price to redeem us. Such a great price should help us understand what God hopes we may become through Christ. The Apostle John saw how high, how deep, and how broad is God's love. John wanted to tell about it, but he could not find the right words to describe it. So he said, see how much the Father has loved us. His love is so great that we have called God's children, 1 John 3, 1. What a high value has this places upon us. By sinning, human beings became subjects of Satan. But through faith in Christ and his death, they may become God's children. By taking human nature, Christ places sinners where, through connection with him, they may become worthy of the name of the children of God. There is no other love like this. Children of the heavenly king. Precious promises. How wonderful to think about the great love of God 
for a world that did not love him. Thinking of God's love makes us feel very humble. This thought, as shown by Jesus' death, should bring our minds close to God. The more we study the character of God and keep looking at the cross, the more we will see God's mercy, tenderness, and forgiveness. We also see how fair he is and how just. We see his infinite love and our tender pity that is far greater than the sympathy of a mother for her disobedient child. And so we see how much um, God really does love us. And, you know, even if Jesus hadn't died on the cross, I know that God loves me because he does so much for me. He treats me so much better than I deserve. And I want to surrender my life to him all the time because he is just so good.
You're listening to Amazing Grace here on Manawatu People's Radio. All right, friends, in our last segment, we're going to look at the book entitled The Desire of Ages, which is about um, the life of Jesus. And today's chapter is chapter 46, He Was Transfigured. Evening is drawing on as Jesus calls to his side three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and lead them across the fields and far up a rugged path to a lonely mountainside. The Saviour and his disciples have spent the day in travelling and teaching, and the mountain climb adds to their weariness. Christ has had lifted burdens from the mind and the body of many sufferers. He has sent the thrill of life through their enfeebled frames, but he has also compassed with humanity and with the disciples. He is wearied with the ascent of the mountain. The light of the setting sun still lingers in the mountain tops and gilds with its fading glory the path that they are travelling. But soon the light dies out from the hill as well as the valley. The sun disappears behind the western horizon and the solitary travellers are wrapped in darkness of night. The gloom of their surroundings seems in harmony with their sorrowful lives around which the clouds are gathering and thickening. The disciples do not venture to ask Christ whether he is going or for what purpose. He has often spent entire nights on his mountains in prayer. He whose hand formed the mountain and valley is at home with nature and enjoys its quietitude. The disciples follow where Christ leads the way, yet they wonder why their master should lead them up this toilsome ascent when they are weary. And when they, and when he is too in need of rest, presently, Christ tells them that they now need to go no further. Stepping a little aside from them, the man of sorrows pours out his supplications with strong crying and tears. He prays for the strength to endure the test on behalf of humanity. He must himself gain a fresh hold on omnipotence for only thus can he contemplate the future. And he pours out his heart longings for his disciples, that in the hour of the power of darkness their faith may not fail. The Jew is heavy upon his browed form, but he heeds it not. The shadow of night gathers thickly about him, but he regards not their gloom. So the hours pass slowly by. At first, the disciples unite their prayers with his in sincere devotion. But after a time, they are overcome with weariness, and even while trying to retain their interest in the scene, they fall asleep. Jesus has told them of his suffering. He has taken them with him, that they might unite with him in prayer. Even now he is praying. The Saviour has seen the gloom of the disciples and has longed to lighten their grief by an assurance that their faith has not been in vain. Not all, even of the twelve, can receive the revelation he desires to give. Only the three who are to witness his anguish in Gethsemane have been chosen with him on the mount. Now the burden of his prayer is that they may be given a manifestation of the glory that he had with the Father before the world was, that his kingdom may be revealed to human eyes, and that his disciples may be strengthened to behold it. He pleads that they may witness a manifestation of his divinity, that they will comfort them in their hour of supreme agony with the knowledge that he is a surety of the Son of God and that his shameful death is part of the plan of redemption. His prayer is heard. While he is bowed in lowliness upon the stony ground, suddenly the heavens open. The golden gates of the city of God are thrown wide and a holy radiance descends upon the mount, enshrouding the Saviour's form. Divinity from within flashes through humanity and meets the glory coming from above. Arising from his prostrate position, Christ stands in godlike majesty. The soul agony is gone. His countenance now shines as the sun, and his garments are as white as the light. 
The disciples awakening behold the flood of glory that illuminates the mount. In fear and amazement they gaze upon the radiant form of their master. As they become able to endure the wondrous light, they see that Jesus is not alone. Besides him are two heavenly beings, enclosed converse with him. They are Moses, who upon Sinai had talked with God, and Elijah, to whom the high privilege was given, granted to him but one of the other sons of Adam, never to come under the power of death. <coughs> Excuse me. Upon Mount Pisgah, 15 centuries before, Moses had stood gazing upon the land of promise, but because of his sin at Meribah, he was not for him to enter there. Not for him was the joy of leading the lost of Israel into the inheritance of their fathers. His agonized entreaty, I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond the Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon, Deuteronomy 3.25, but he was refused. The hope that for 40 years had lightened up the darkness of the desert wanderings must be denied. A wilderness grave was the goal of those years of toil and heart-burdening care. But he who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask and think had in this measure answered his servant's prayer. Moses passed under the dominion of death, but he was not to remain in the tomb. Christ himself called forth him to life. Satan, the tempter, had claimed the body of Moses because of his sin. But Christ, the Saviour, brought him forth from the grave. Jude 9 Moses upon the Mount of Transfiguration was a witness to Christ's victory over sin and death. He represented those who shall come forth from the grave at the resurrection of the just. Elijah, who had been translated to heaven without seeing death, represented those who will be living upon the earth at Christ's second coming and who will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump when his mortal must put on immortality and this corruptible will put on incorruption. Jesus was clothed with the light of heaven as he will appear when he shall come the second time without sin unto salvation. For he will come in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Hebrews 9.28 and Mark 8.38 The Saviour's promise to his disciples was now fulfilled. Upon the mount, the future kingdom of glory was represented in miniature. Christ the King, Moses, a representative of the risen saints, and Elijah of the translated ones. The disciples do not yet comprehend the scene, but they do rejoice that their patient teacher, the meek and lowly one, who has wandered to and fro a helpless stranger, is honoured by the favoured ones upon heaven. They believe that Elijah had come to announce the Messiah's reign and that the kingdom of Christ is about to be set up on the earth. The memory of their fear and disappointment they would banish forever. Here, where the glory of God is revealed, they long too to tarry. Peter exclaims, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. The disciples are confident that Moses and Elijah have been sent to protect their master and to establish his authority as king. But before the crown must come the cross, not the inauguration of Christ as king, but the decease to be accompanied at Jerusalem is the subject of their their conference with Jesus. Bearing the weakness of humanity and burdened with its sorrow and sin, Jesus walked alone in the midst of men. As the darkness of the coming trial pressed upon them, he was a a loneliness of spirit and in a world that knew him not. Even his loved disciples absorbed in their own doubt and sorrow and ambitious hopes had not comprehended the mystery of his mission. He had dwelt amid the love and fellowship of heaven, but in the world that he had created, 
he was in solitude. Now heaven had sent its messengers to Jesus, not angels, but men who had endured suffering and sorrow and who could sympathize with the Savior in the trial of his earthly life. Moses and Elijah had been co-laborers with Christ. They had shared his longing for the salvation of men. Moses had pled for Israel. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. Exodus 32, 32. Elijah had known loneliness of spirit, for as for three years and a half of the famine, he had borne the burden of the nation's hatred and woe. Alone he had stood for God upon Mount Carmel. Alone he had fled to the desert in anguish and despair. These men, chosen from above every angel around the throne, had come to commune with Jesus concerning the scenes of his suffering and to comfort him with the assurance of the sympathy of heaven. The hope of the world and the salvation of every human being was the burden of their interview. Through being overcome with sleep, the disciples heard little of what passed between Christ and the heavenly messengers. Failing to watch and pray, they had not received that which God desired to give them, a knowledge of the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. They lost the blessing that might have been theirs through the sharing of the self-sacrifice. Slow of heart to believe that were these disciples, little appreciative of the treasury with which heaven sought to enrich them. Yet they received great light. They were assured that all heaven knew of the sin of the Jewish nation in rejecting Christ. They were given a clearer insight into the work of the, the Redeemer. They saw with their eyes and heard with their ears the things that were beyond the comprehension of man. They were eyewitnesses of his majesty, and they realized that Jesus was indeed the Messiah to whom patriarchs and prophets had witnessed, and had he recognized as such by the heavenly universe. While they were still gazing upon the scene on the mountain, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice in the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. As they beheld the cloud of glory, brighter than that which went before the tribes of Israel in the wilderness, as they heard the voice of God speak in awful majesty that caused the mountain to tremble, the disciples fell smitten to the earth. They remained prostrate, their faces hidden, and till Jesus came near and touched them, dispelling their fears with his well-known voice, Arise, and be not afraid. Venturing to lift up their eyes, they saw that the heavenly glory had passed away. The forms of Moses and Elijah had disappeared. They were upon the mount, alone with Jesus. And that's the end of that chapter, the transfiguration. All right, friends, uh, we've really just about come to the end of our time together today. And uh, just pray that you have been blessed um, as we have shared with you um, the hope of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, we're all all born the same. We're all being born sinners, but we all have the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and by faith to trust in him. You know, there's so many Bible promises, and the Bible promises are true. Um, and, you know, the Bible promises give us so much hope for the future to know that Jesus has promised that he will return, that he is coming back soon to collect us and take him, take us back to his Father's kingdom where we will live forever with Jesus and his Father. Uh, that is just so wonderful to, to be able to live with the beings that love us the most because they truly do. And that's why Jesus died for you, friends, so that you too could have eternal life God demonstrated his love for you in action because of his great love. Jesus died for you, friends. May it not be in vain. 
When the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, friend, I pray that you will respond. And whatever we lack, we just need to pray for. Um, I had a friend that lived in Vietnam who went outside his house one night and just said, God, if you're real, if you're there, reveal yourself to me. Within six months, this man was a Christian. God did indeed reveal himself to you. So if you give the Lord an opportunity, if you ask him to come into your life, he certainly will because he has a vested interest in you. Jesus died that you, my friend, may have eternal life. Let's pray as we finish. Father in heaven, I just pray for our listeners today, Lord, that your spirit uh, will work in their hearts and their minds and draw them close to yourself. We, Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit uh, that that works in our lives and, and protects and guides us each day. We thank you for his work in our lives. And so, Father, I just pray your blessing upon your people For I ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. From all of us here at Amazing Grace, we pray that you will grow in grace. May the love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you.